Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 460 for Sunday, August 4th, 2013. back and welcome to the mac observers mac geek of the show where you send in tips questions and cool stuff found we share it all we answer what we can we share stories that are relevant from our own experiences and all together we love to learn new things each and every time we come together here back in durham new hampshire i'm dave hamilton and um that, that, was, that was very poltergeist of you dave <laughs> Not quite poltergeist, though, because that should have been their back. Right, right. But I didn't want to speak about you and I in the third person, so I, 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 I modified it a little yes. bit. Yes, but uh, still a good flick. I, I think I saw it the other day, poltergeist. But anyways, um, who am I? What am I doing here? Where am I? Uh, here in Fearful, Connecticut, John F. Braun. It's good to be back, John. Yeah. Hi, uh, Lisa and well, it's I had to have a break too. It is good to have a break. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, for those of you that, uh, that are so far behind, you didn't realize that there was a show missing. And I think there's a, uh, a, a large contingent of you in that sense. Uh, then, uh, nothing to see here for those of you that did notice. Yeah. Lisa and I, uh, wound up taking, uh, a trip, uh, out to Tahoe actually like Tahoe last week. Um, the, the, the gravity of the trip was to, to see two nights of fish, but we wound up uh, going a little bit earlier than that and, and able to check out a bunch of things. I mean, it's just it's gorgeous. I, I've never been out there before, John, and it's it, it's a pain in the neck to get there. So uh, it's not the kind of place you would stumble upon. But um, but it's, you know, right on the California Nevada border and gorgeous. You know, you're up about sixty two hundred feet at, at lake level, I will call it, and uh, mountains all around it. It's, it's stunning, spectacular. Yeah, yeah. Well, apparently, I I, I think I, I caught. Uh, apparently, you were rubbing shoulders with the stars. Thank goodness. I, yeah, I ran into Waz, <laughs> and and I don't know why I didn't go Uh-oh. up to. Uh, yeah, on. they're coming to get you, John. I didn't know. I don't know why I didn't go up to Waz and say hello when we saw him riding his Segway through the casino. We've but, seen him do that before at MacWorld. I absolutely. remember that, and it was like. Oh my gosh, that looks like oh, it is him. Okay, right. and then we we're like, hey, how's it going? And he's like, oh yeah, Mac Observer. Yeah, like, wow. Yeah, I mean, very, I've been very on- friendly, sociable, sociable guy. He was just cruising around on his Segway, but yeah, and and I've been on interview. I mean, I've we've, I've done podcasts with him. I mean, it, it, it we know each other, so there's no reason in the world that I would not have gone up and said hello. Except I just didn't. Well, you know, I was with Lisa. He was with his wife. We just kind of you know we're doing our own things, and we just sort of noticed. Yeah, that's was. And, uh, and so I mentioned it and he chimed in. He's like, yeah, yeah. He was in town for the fish shows as well. And, uh, and then he wound up getting really sick, like so sick that he missed the first night of, uh, of the shows. He did make it to the second night. And, it, and when I realized how sick he was, I was like, oh, thank goodness we didn't go up and say hello because we may have wound up what, what he got, but maybe not. Cause his wife didn't get sick. So, you know, maybe, you know, hand to hand contact wouldn't have mattered, but, uh, but anyway, yeah, Waz was out there too. So it's a great place to see a show. It's a great place to go. But uh, Harvey's uh, in South Lake Tahoe is where we um, saw the shows and where we ran into Waz. But um, but it, it's a small venue, and the only people that go there are the people that want to kind of see the show because, like I said, it's sort of a pain in the neck to get there. But anyway, we're back and uh, very happy. Actually, very excited to be back. So eager to get to the show. Fun stuff ahead, Mr. Braun. 
So the one little adventure I had, and if you have any feedback on this, it'd be great. But mm-hmm. th- so I got some some time to play with this new uh, Polaroid camera that I got my hands on. And one of one of the things I like about it, Dave, is that it takes double A's. It doesn't take a proprietary battery. Wh- which model camera? Just uh, for those playing along at home, uh, IS twenty one thirty two, I think. Okay. Good. I'll double check that, but I think that's it. It's, I'll, I'll uh, double check uh, it because it's on. It's tagged on your pictures. Tell your story, and we'll. You know, oh we'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, so this takes double A batteries. Of course, uh, any battery dies. So I, I, I'm like, okay, well, I can't keep burning through alkaline batteries because uh, you know, it'll cost money. So I'm like, let me look at the double A space, and there is uh, several options since I last looked at the standard battery size rechargeable space. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, in various vendors, you know, Energizer, Duracell, all all these guys, and and the the one I came up with, I think was um, Sanyo, which I think is now owned by Panasonic, uh, Eneloop, I think it's called, and it's a type of uh, I think it's a NIMH battery, and and uh, its claim to fame is that it doesn't discharge as often as others. So I thought I got some sets of those here, but um, I'm wondering if you've done anything with. Uh, with recharge bulbs, because actually, reportedly, I did look at the Apple option. Apple, as some people may know, and if you don't, Apple kind of quietly introduced their own rechargeable battery set, because a lot of their things, like the Magic Mouse and the tra- Magic Trackpad and things like that, take double A's. So, like, well, gee, why don't we... Uh, I think they rebranded, and actually, it's rumored, I think they rebranded these, you know, uh, something of another vendor. It's not an original Apple creation. Of course. Of course. But have you done any of this? I'm waiting for him to come in, and actually, I got him for, you know, I got... A set of four with the charger for twenty bucks, and then I bought eight extras for like twenty more dollars from B and H, and they should be coming any day now. So, but uh, have you done anything with with rechargeables, standard rechargeables, or yeah, I we do them for our Wii controllers, um, and, okay. and you know, and 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 other things. We we have, pro- and I think it probably started with those old Hewlett Packard digital cameras that we had like years and years ago. That we started using rechargeable double A's, right? Because they you and I got some for review, and one of the things that I think back then is a lot of people did is they're like, well, yeah, let's use standard batteries, right? Right. Well, because because size of the camera wasn't as important. Right now, the reason that most vendors don't use double A's is because they're just massive, you know, compared to how thin people want to make cameras. So I'd say for one of my cameras, that's definitely true. The Lumix, yeah, yeah, yeah. is very small. This one can take it. It's actually well, part of the handle. Right. So it's actually a larger camera, so it's not an imposition. Okay. It, right, right. Well, I mean, it's an imposition in that the camera's larger. Right. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's whatever you want. But I think that was the reason that, you know, people went that way. But, um, but yeah, we've got a bunch of rechargeable double A's and, you know, we recharge them all the time. And they, they work fine until they stop working and then we stop. Using that, you know, and we get new ones. So, yeah. Yeah, that's good stuff. All right. Uh, you know, uh, before we get into the show, I want to tell you about our first sponsor for the show. Let's uh, let's do things a little out of order, shall we? And uh, and because I like to do that, I like to mix it up a little bit. Our first sponsor is Smile Software and uh, it's smilesoftware.com. Actually, they are smile at smilesoftware.com. I'll get this right. And uh, and. This time around, I get to talk about something that's very easy for me to talk about, which is PDF Pen for iPad. You've probably heard me talk about PDF Pen for the Mac. And, uh, you know, the thing is, PDF Pen for iPad is one of those apps that I always kind of wished would exist, but never expected it to exist because I just thought it was too much to try and make work on an iPad. Well, whatever, a year and a half ago, uh, Smile proved me wrong, of course. And uh, and PDF Pen for iPad came out 
and it's fantastic. Uh, I use it. Uh, I don't use it every day. I use PDF pen on my Mac several times a week. I use PDF pen on my iPad uh, more frequently when I'm traveling because I'm relying on my iPad more, but it does all the same things that I, I do on my Mac. I can sign documents. Uh, you know, we get a lot of contracts in via PDF and it's so handy to be able to sign them and I can actually sync my signature back and forth with it. Um, or I can draw right on it. Either one, you know, it's fine. You can just like you can on the Mac on the iPad, you can actually edit the text inside a PDF which is really cool if you've got something, let's say you've got a PDF price list and you need to change a price without going back to the original document, like, you know, the pages document or whatever you use to create the PDF in the first place. You can just use PDF pen and dive right into the PDF, edit the prices or edit typos or anything. Uh, and it just lets you type and, and you're changing the actual text. There's no way that the person receiving it knows that you did this edit. It just appears like all the rest of the text does. It's, it's actually quite brilliant. So you can do that. Uh, and then, of course, you can do annotations on a PDF. And a lot of times I'll get, you know, if it's a contract or, or really anything, if I get it uh, and I bring it into PDF pen as a PDF, I can mark it up. I've done this sitting on airplanes. You know, I go, I read through it. I do my little markups, my notes, and then I can send the marked up version back to whoever I'm working with. And we can kind of go back and forth on it. And of course it syncs because what mobile app worth its salt doesn't sync, right? So uh, it syncs with your Mac via iCloud or Dropbox, and you can exchange documents using Evernote, Google drive, Boxnet, all that good stuff. So it, it's really, really cool. And uh and it's it's well worth checking out. You got to, uh, of course, you got to get it in the app store, but uh, but we'll put a link to that uh, right there in the sponsor section of the show notes, uh, and uh, and you can go check it out. And that's uh, it's PDF Pen for iPad, and uh, from Smile at smilesoftware.com. So what are you waiting for? Go check it out. We'll press pause. Go check it out, and then you can come back, and uh, and we'll be right where you left us. And with that, John, um, you know, speaking of PDFs, I had a, a cool experience recently. I had um, a gig and the person it was a private party. So this person had created a, a PDF of the, you know, about the party. But it also had like some directions and some, you know, necessary details in there. And so I, I created an event on my calendar and I was using BusyCal, but I could have easily have done this with iCal and it would have had the same cool effect. Um, and, uh, and I created the event and I put the time in and, and all that stuff. And I'm like, oh, you know, I might want the PDF at some point. So I dragged the PDF into the event and it attached it to the event. I thought that's cool. And I thought, wait, there's no way that this PDF will also be attached to the event on my, I, you know, on my iPhone. And I checked and sure enough, synced via iCloud, there was my PDF attached to the event. I could, you know, look at the event and then open up the PDF and see the whole thing right there. It just synced right through. And it was so awesome. And it, this, this feature may have been there since day one. I just never even tried it. So uh, I figure if I never thought to try it, perhaps one or two of you never thought to try it. And, uh, and so I would share. So I share. And that's what I do, John. That's what we do. It's pretty cool. All the stuff you can do with, with sharing. I agree. No, I ran into something similar, which uh, the, the people have probably noticed this, but if you don't, but if you, if you get an email uh, that has uh, dates 
uh, or times in it, and and the data detectors feature of the OS can detect it. When you create the event, it can actually link back to the email where you pulled that from. I, I just noticed that the other day. I got something where we're doing a family get-together in a couple of days, and the email happened to be of a format where I could say, oh, okay, create a calendar event. And when I went back to it later, I noticed it said, oh, by the way, you know, here's here's the mail that <laughs> you created this from, which uh, actually I think is, is kind of cool, though I'm sure it's only isolated to you know, the local machine. Yeah. Or is it like if I brought this up on my iPhone, would the same event description have the URL? I I, I would suspect not that it's only a local thing. I don't know. I'll have to try it out. Well, I think, yeah, I think the URL is to the message. So yeah, yeah, that's hard to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know what, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah. It's gotta be on the local machine only. But this, but see, I would have said that I, I thought that about the PDF too, and then it works. So you got to try it. You got to you got to try it out and see if it syncs to the the email message on your on your iPhone too. Yeah, be cool. It would be cool. It's uh, it's you know as cool as it gets. All right, uh, now we'll. Uh, well, it's not quite as cool as it gets. I mean, there's probably things, other things that are cool. We'll talk about some of those. Johnny uh, wrote in and had an issue where his iPod shuffle would not be noticed by iTunes. And, uh, you know, he tried to sync it and, uh, he tried, he says he, he actually, it started when he tried to do the autofill playlist, which you can do with the shuffle. He says he got an error that the iPod could not be found despite the fact that it was mounted right there on iTunes. So it would show up, but he couldn't sync to it. So he restored it. Nothing still getting the can't find the iPod error or waiting on iPod. And it just wasn't working. We went back and forth. And uh, and then finally, Johnny tried something interesting. He uh, he did the restore again. And uh, it appears on the desktop. And then iTunes opens and says, welcome to your new iPod. And it has that little window. It says, if I click through the welcome screens, iPod, iTunes would grab the iPod. And then I could do nothing with it. However, if I left the welcome screen open in iTunes... I could then manually copy files over to the iPod by dragging some random MP3 files to the desktop image or the mounted iPod sitting there on the desktop uh, or in the finder of his Mac. He says uh, the files would not play on the iPod, but after I copied the files and clicked through the welcome screens, I did get iTunes to autofill the iPod. Somehow manually copying some files to the iPod made the OS or iTunes recognize that the iPod was attached and valid. There is still something wrong as I can't change any of the settings on the iPod through iTunes, like convert higher bit rate, etc. I still get the can't find iPod error, but at least I can use the iPod again. Says I guess I'm stuck with the current music for the rest of the life of the iPod. Well, or until you just copy manually, you know, at that uh, at that screen. So that's one thing he fixed was the uh, was the the iPod. He also fixed an iPhone. Johnny says. Uh, I have an iPhone 4 that I had in one of the Griffin rubberized survivor cases. It's bulky, but it saved the phone during a lot of trips to the floor. It has a built-in screen guard that's some sort of plastic material. The iPhone was becoming very slow to respond to my button clicks. I thought there was something wrong with the phone, but also noticed that the built-in screen protector was very scratched. I took the phone out of the case, and the phone was instantly back to normal. The problem was the scratched screen protector built into the case, so something to bear in mind if uh if you use a case with a you know with a built-in screen protector that screen protector is between your finger and the screen so if there's something wonky about it that can cause that too thanks johnny good tips 
we'll run through a bunch of tips and then we'll uh, then we'll get to some questions. How's that sound, John? Fantastic. Good. Tips for us, John? Oh, <laughs> you mean Monroe? I do. All right, so let's uh, condense. So originally this was a question about moving a iPhoto library, but I think it's a larger issue. So we're going to address that because we haven't yet heard back on this. But I think the observation here is when you copy a large file, and I think that may be the, the root of the problem here, Dave, yep. like an iPhoto library from one place to another, uh, say from a local drive to a NAS drive, which was the situation here, sometimes the finder may not necessarily be uh, responsive in that it may not let you know exactly what's happening with this copy operation. And I've, I've noticed this, especially with NAS drives, no matter which ones they are, sometimes you get some operations that just seem to take forever. And I don't well, know why. It, Eventually they catch up. I think the issue if, that Monroe was seeing was, you know, when you go to copy any file from one place to another, when you get to the destination and you're dragging, you get that green uh, circle with a plus sign in it that gives you yes. the visual notification that I am going to copy the file here. But if it's a large file, it may take a very long time for that green circle to appear. And until it does, nothing's going to happen when you let go of the mouse. So, there, yeah, there can be this weird lag. But, John, you came up with an alternative that I think is a great tip. Right. And that, while doing it with the mouse is certainly the probably the quickest way to do it, assuming you have all the windows in front of you here. The other way to do it, Dave, is that the Finder, and I think you used to have to use third-party products, and I still love Total Finder, but the Finder itself now, I'm not sure when they introduced this, but this would be a thing to try. Uh, so for whatever reason, the visual... Uh, notifications or caching or whatever isn't working quite right when he's doing the drag and drop thing. Yep. So go to one window, highlight the file that you want to copy and choose from the edit menu when you're in the finder. Um, copy. Yeah. <laughs> I think you can also do cut. I don't know. Is, is you you a, can. Yes. And it right. will move. So the that's file. not a total finder because I think for a while, because I'm running total finder. So I think for a while, it was the one of the few utilities that would allow this, but I think now the Finder rocks this too. So you can do a very Mac-like copy or cut operation on the file itself yep. and then go to the destination and at that point say paste. I, I would say you probably want to do copy. I, I, yeah, I agree <laughs> with cut, you. Cut, as, as you could imagine, deletes... Uh, I don't know if it deletes it before. I, I assume it deletes it after the copy is completed. It deletes it from the, the, the source. <laughs> right. <laughs> that would be the right way to do it. So uh, that was the suggestion we haven't heard back yet, but I think that is uh, when you're running into file copy issues, uh, you now have two options. Yep. You have the uh, GUI option and you have the keyboard uh, option. Yep. I, I Yeah. It's good. No, and I, I wind up doing that all the time. And when I read his question, I'm like, oh, I know the answer. And then I saw that you had answered it. And I'm like, ah, there's the answer. That's it. Yep. Awesome. Uh, a quick one from Dave. I guess this will fall into the cool stuff found category. He says, uh, he says, Dave, in Mac Geek Up 459, you mentioned how much, how much you dig the stars in Google Drive. He says, try out an app called Archie, which is at archieapp.com, A-R-C-H-Y. And uh, it lets you manage 
and it's got all kinds of cool stuff for uh, for Google Drive. You can see it's it's got like a Twitter style activity feed, like a timeline kind of thing so that you see what's been updated. You can get tree views for your folders. It looks very cool. Uh, I have not tested it yet, but uh, I did download it as I was prepping for the show. So uh, anybody that uses Google Drive, Dave says, is this is is uh, what am I trying to say here? Go get it. There you go. That's what I'm trying to say. Indeed. Uh, and while we are on the subject of Google, uh, Greg has a tip. He says he saw this on Gizmodo this week uh, about caching Google Maps in for offline use in iOS. And we talked about this in a in a previous show. A listener had said, you know, uh, to, to zoom in and find stuff. And we talked about taking screenshots. And he says uh, Gizmodo says. You need to zoom closer to cache the information, but he, he was able to zoom out to a fairly large area and, and get it to work. Uh, and, and I found that to be true, too. But I will say that before we went out to Tahoe, I thought about this um, and I thought about our discussions here. And I also thought about the fact that the way we were getting there was we flew to Sacramento because it was way cheaper to fly to Sacramento than Reno. Right. Not that flying to Sacramento was cheap. I think that was still about, uh, I think we paid about 850 bucks to get the two of us round trip out and back to Sacramento. And we had to fly Southwest, which is like, you know, freaking the worst airline in the world if, that I've ever flown anyway. Uh, it's cheap and worth it is, uh, is my feeling about what Southwest motto should be. The seats are, uh, are, are narrow and uncomfortable and with thin padding. And you got to go through that whole stupid bus in the sky thing, even though everybody, you know, buys their position in line and blah, blah, blah. You should just reserve seats. It's freaking stupid. But anyway, enough about me and Southwest. We did. Thank, thankfully for Southwest. If we were going to fly to Reno, uh, it would have cost us twice as much and we wouldn't have been able to do the trip. So as Lisa kept reminding me, yes, Southwest sucks, but at least we got here. But it meant that we were in Sacramento and we had to get to and from Tahoe. And it's about a two hour drive. And it's a two-hour drive up through the mountains, and uh, I, I and I figured it would be a gorgeous drive, and it was. It was a little, you know, kind of white knuckled as you're, you know, doing these uh, switchbacks up and down through the through the mountains to get there. But it was cool. But I started wondering, you know, I don't know how much service I'm going to have, and I certainly don't know this area, so I'm going to want to use. I'm going to, you know, want to use. Uh, my iPhone as a GPS, but I did not want to trust any of these map apps that are online only like Apple's maps or Google's maps. Now I would like to think that Apple's maps, if I am somewhere with service and I say, I want to get here from point a to point B that it would go and download every map that I would need along my journey and cache that stuff, at least for the duration of my journey. I would like to think that, but I do not like to plan for that. So, uh, so I use Navigon uh, this time around and downloaded the California and Nevada maps um, although we, our hotel, it's fascinating, John, you know, Nevada allows casinos. And so our hotel butted right up to this road. The road was in California. The hotel was in Nevada. It, you know, it was like not a, not an inch of Nevada, uh, real estate was spared. We've, we can have the roads in California. That's fine. The hotel will just be, you know, in, in Nevada, but, uh, but it, you know, Navigon worked great getting us to and from, and we didn't have to worry about losing service or anything. But uh, but I will say, I think Apple stuff does cash that because we did some drives up through the mountains while we were there and wound up relying on on just the built in maps app in, in iOS six. And uh, 
And although we had areas where we didn't have cell service, we never had a problem with the map. So, so there you go. That's my feeling on that. Have you, you, have you played with, uh, with any third party mapping apps where you actually, you know, have maps on your device? I know Navigon's not cheap, but totally worth it. If you want to make sure you've got maps, no matter whether you have um, service or not. The most I've done as of late is that if, uh, so the, uh, Manhattan media event spurt has, a uh, has, a uh, <laughs> gone away, uh, mm-hmm. like a month ago, I was like going twice a week and now, uh, just and everybody's catching their breath for, for the next wave, which I guess will be in a month or two. Um, what I would do is when I was here on the, uh, here on the train, which, uh, for the most part, the, uh, Metro North line here, uh, is runs along the same route that the, uh, Y optimum Wi-Fi does, which a lot of people have the optimum cable service and they throw in Wi-Fi, uh, supposedly for free that we all pay for it yep. somehow. But, um, but, but what I'll try to do is before I get to my destination, cause sometimes, uh, you would think in New York city or Manhattan, this isn't possible, but because there's just the, <laughs> so many people with their gadgets and gizmos, um, getting coverage may be difficult. Again, you would think, well, this is like, you know, the you know, <laughs> a big city. Well, yeah, it is, but there's also lots of people. There's millions. I forget how many millions are in Manhattan, but, uh, yeah, sometimes uh, you don't get, you, you, you won't get service, even if you're in the middle of, uh, yeah. Uh, where you're getting everything else. So, yep. um, so what I'll try to do is load the map when I'm on the train, maybe while I'm still in Connecticut and then put it in the background. And then when I get to where I'm going, at least it'll have, and, and sometimes I'll highlight. Now I think we mentioned in the past one, you know, way to do this is, yeah, we'll do a screen snapshot. So yep. if you get enough of the map that's useful to you, well, duh, take a snapshot because once you get to another spot where there may be network service, then what's there may go away. So, right, right. But yeah, I've done this before. Yeah, and cool. uh, it usually works out and that at least gives me, uh, you know, something to start with. And then hopefully I'll pick up better data and then I'm mm-hmm. on my way. Cool. Uh, all right. Moving on, keeping our tips going here and trying to keep the flow going. Um, I was, I had a movie that I wanted to play on our television. And we have the relevant devices uh, are that we have a TiVo uh, premiere. And also an Apple TV hooked up to the the TV. But this movie was a movie that I had actually not I, I had I had converted it, but I hadn't put it in the right spot for any of our streaming apps that exist on our network here to pump it over to the the device. And I didn't want to wait to cache it and all that. So I had the movie on my MacBook Air and thought, OK, how do I play this movie on my Apple TV from my MacBook Air? And there really is no way. I mean, I can do video mirroring, but that's not what I wanted. I just wanted to take the movie file and like beam it at the Apple TV so that it played in the Apple TV's quality. And uh, but and AirPlay doesn't quite do that. You know, it, it like you can play it in QuickTime, but you're still like doing this fight between resolutions and all that. And so I found that Erica Sadoon has written a utility called AirFlick. And we will put a link to where this is. It's She's got a bunch of AirPlay utilities that she's written. And AirFlick lets you serve files and URLs straight from your Mac to the Apple TV. You do not have to get into mirroring mode or anything like that. And uh, and it worked awesome. I mean, it was just like no fanfare about it. I just said, this is what I want to play to the Apple TV. And it was like, yep, okay, here we go. And it was perfect. It just beamed it and worked. So AirFlick. 
We like it. It's good. While we're in the uh, while we're in the the cool stuff found mode, Jim has one that uh, that he suggested. He said, uh, "Have you looked at Sane Box? S A N E Box. Not cheap." But I have found it useful for the volume of email that I get, saving me about four hours each week. There's an iOS app on the way too. basically it's an intelligent. It, it is intelligent server side rules for multiple email accounts. He says, I'm just a happy user so far. They had a brief outage, but it fails safe. And the impact of my email during the outage processing time was noticeable. So uh, so we will. I have not checked it out yet, but uh, you know me, I'm an efficiency freak, so. I will, uh, we will put a link to it in the show notes, of course, but, uh, but there you go. Bounce back. What's that? I want to bounce back a little bit. I want to rewind a little bit here to throw this in. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, uh, maybe you ordered one already, but uh, have you seen the Chromecast device? I have seen the Chromecast device. Yeah, I don't have one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, interesting in that Apple TV kind of way. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. So, so for those that haven't heard about this, it's, it's a device that plugs into an HDMI port. And I think it's basically a streaming receiver that pumps the video into your HDMI TV or tuner. Uh, but I guess the, the selling point, and you have to give it power, which I guess is done through a micro USB or something like that. And some people shook their fist over that. And it's like, yeah, come on. It needs power. Thing is, it's, it's not magic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it could run on magic, but... <laughs> That's hard <laughs> right. and expensive. So, yeah. So I think it's micro USB or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but it looks like, yeah, they're, they're jumping into the same market that, you know, everybody else is Apple TV and Roku and all that. But here's a selling point. I think it's 35 bucks. Yeah. You can play things. Um, so from- Google Play, YouTube, Netflix and Chrome are w- what they say on, on the, the page that right. talks about it. And there may be other things you do. So I guess it's you need an app in order to talk to it right but yeah 35 bucks okay. yeah yeah it's right it's a cool thing yep absolutely and the only uh, train wreck they had is that there was a netflix promotion which apparently had ended ended much faster had. than they expected it to have yeah yes yeah. i don't know if it was a temp- it was a free membership or whatever which it seems that netflix throws those out to people anyways so yeah i don't know what the, the deal is but right <laughs> do you still use netflix I, I never have used Netflix. Oh, okay. Either. All right. Yeah, we gave it up. No, I've always had it available. Uh, ever since I've had the TiVo, I think it's almost always been available through the TiVo, or of course you can yep. get their standalone application. But I never, I found it redundant because I always had a video store or Redbox or something like that to satisfy my, you know, immediate yeah. video needs. Yep. So uh, ne- never really, a, yeah, I mean, a, the only gripe I hear from people is that it, it has a, a unusual mix of titles and they may not always have what you want, which is why I'd rather go to like a video store or something like that. And that they'll have like a season of something and then won't have the other. And it's like, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. their selection is spotty, I guess, is the only bad thing I've heard about Netflix. Yeah. As far as so the, the streaming goes. What is it now? Eight, bu- eight bucks a month or something now, I think. Yeah. Eight bucks if, if all you want is streaming. I think that's right. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But yeah, I'm with you. We um we used it for a while. It was really handy when we were getting movies delivered to the house and it was like I think it was 8 or 9 bucks a month for like everything and then and then, you know, their their whole model changed and so we went to just I don't even know that we went to just streaming. Lisa told us we were going to just streaming. And but she canceled the whole thing and it was like 3 months later. I was like, "Gosh, you know, we don't really use Netflix much anymore." She's like, "Yeah, I know, I canceled it." 
like, wow, look at you go. So, yeah, Redbox works for us for that immediate. Which just occurs to me for all these things here, Dave, and I think we have some questions talking about this here, but the whole thing relies more and more on having a, a I would say, minimum reliable download experience. And at least up until recently, in my case, anyways, with the yeah, cable right. modem fiasco was not the case. I don't think my old connection would have necessarily supported uh, a pleasurable uh, video uh, viewing experience by uh, streaming. So. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, I love it when when everything collides here, John. And uh, one of our Adam, one of our Mackie Cab listeners, uh, not only did he suggest something that I fully agree falls into the cool stuff found category, but he wrote it, uh, which is even cooler. So um, it's a, a set of apps called crowd colors. And uh, there's uh, the crowd colors app for your iPhone is free. And then there's an app called crowd colors controller, which is an iPad app that uh, is five bucks. And the idea behind these apps is, um, you go to a concert or you even go see a local band. And this is where it really could work. I mean, I, we've already started talking about this with fling to see how we could like make this work. And the idea is it uses Bluetooth to communicate. Um, and you have your controllers app and on the controllers app, you set what color you want everyone's iPhone to be. And then everybody running the crowd colors app, their iPhone magically changes to that color. And you can like, you know, create this light show that happens not only uh, appearing on the stage, but also, you know, in, in everybody's hand. And it could be really cool in a concert venue with 10,000 people or whatever, but it could also be really cool in a bar with a hundred people where, or even a place where people are sitting at tables. You know, if, if you've got six people sitting at a table, you know, you might have three or four iPhones there. And so you put them all out. And now the, the, the light show from the stage is actually happening on the table in front of you. And he, he's done some cool stuff. It's uh it's all Bluetooth four O and, uh, and it, it has this cascade mode, too. So if people are too far from the stage to get the Bluetooth signal from the, the master controller it actually ec- the, the, the devices in the crowd will echo it to other devices in the crowd and so on and so forth. So uh, so it's pretty cool. Uh, we've I've messed with it a little bit. But, but like I said, it, you know, we've been talking a lot in Fling about how to you know, make these things, these shows that we do more interactive. And, and, and I love this. So. Uh, so there it is. It's uh, it's called crowd colors, and that's the uh, that's the idea. So pretty cool, huh, John? Yeah, you know I'm gonna have to find this. I was searching around this. I, I saw something in a similar vein that struck me as kind of cool. Um, I'll bring it up for a future show. But it was a CEA at one of the CEA shows. There there was a place that had programmable LED Christmas lights. And the thing is, that's cool. You add just a little intel. So the thing is, they already have LED Christmas lights, and you know, I guess they do basic patterns here. But yep. these guys went overboard. They were serious geeks, and so they came up with one where I think they have an SDK, but just the number of things it can do is it will just blow you away. Cool. So uh, you know, LEDs are probably the way to go in any event. But if you can program your your lights to maybe you know spell out words and stuff like that, yeah. I think they had a a demo that kind of showed that that depending on how you lay them out is uh. So yeah, that's a that's, that's an cool. awesome concept though to to you know control hundreds or thousands of individual devices. I I always thought that was neat. Yeah, yeah, it's neat. Yeah, it's cool. All right, so uh, in the last cool stuff found show, I talked about a thing called Magisto, which was an app where you take the videos that you shoot while you're like on vacation or or whenever, 
and uh, it stitches them together into, you know, a minute and a half long montage. And it just does it all magically. Well, I started messing with this after we got back from Tahoe and realized, yeah, it just does okay. But everything happens. It's all server side, right? You upload the, the videos to them. Their server crunches it. And then you can watch it on your phone. But if you want to uh, do anything with it, you have to either buy a subscription or buy the video. And it's also kind of limited in what it does. But, but that's also part of its charm, right? It's just this sort of single purpose kind of thing. Well, I found I started hunting and I found another app called Vidify, V-I-D-I-F-Y, that same concept, but all the processing happens locally. And at least currently, the app is free. So uh, you get this thing and you can set the length to whatever you want. You sync it up with a song, which you can also do in Magisto. And uh, and you can set where the cut points happen or you can, uh, you know, let the app just decide for you. And then it creates this video. And and so I did. I took a bunch of little short little, you know, 10 to 40 second videos while we were traveling. And, you know, we did some hiking and some kayaking, although I didn't uh, bring the camera or bring the iPhone kayaking for obvious reasons. Uh, but, you know, at the concerts and stuff, just everywhere. I took uh, took all these videos and, and it just, you know, it's, it's awesome to not have to spend the two hours stitching together things and creating this you know montage when you can just say yeah you, you do it and the app just does it so uh so check it out vidify totally free at least at the at the moment and hopefully still is when you go to uh to try to download it so that's uh that's what i have to say uh and we have one last tip which i think will sort of lead us in our um in our in a in our in our question direction but uh, Matt wrote in commenting uh, after we talked about uh, SSDs and cleaning them or not cleaning them, but, uh, you know, safely erasing data on them. And uh, he found a white paper on uh, SSD data sanitization. And we will uh, we will uh, link to it in the show notes. But the uh, but the relevant part of it says we collected 12 different SSDs and determined if they supported the security and sanitize feature sets. If the SSD supported the command, we verified effectiveness by writing a fingerprint to the entire drive several times and then issuing the command. Overwriting several times fills as much of the over provision area as is possible with fingerprint data. Supporting an implementation support and implementation of the built-in commands varied across vendors and firmware revisions. Of the 12 drives we tested, none supported the sanitize block erase command. This is not surprising since the standard is not yet final. Eight of the drives reported that they supported the security feature set. One of these encrypts data, so we could not verify if the sanitation was successful. Uh, of the remaining seven, only four executed the erase unit command reliably. So, uh, the advice that we gave you the last time stands. If you want the data that you are putting on an SSD to be uh, under your control for the, uh, from the moment that you put it on the SSD going forward, you should encrypt the whole SSD with something like file vault two or, or, you know, whatever operating system you use. Presumably you're using a Mac and, and it's, uh, you know, running a recent enough OS to run file vault two. And uh, 100% 100% of the time, I recommend that's what you do. So there you have it. Good stuff, huh, John? I've always had it. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. 
All right. Uh, before we get into questions, I do want to talk about our second sponsor, which is not a new sponsor, but coming with a new version that will make a huge difference. And uh, and the sponsor is Connected Data, uh, and they are the makers of the transporter uh, network appliance. And of course, the concept behind the transporter is very, very simple. It is private cloud. Uh what does that mean? Well, you have Dropbox where you save, you know, stuff to a folder on your Mac and then it saves it uh, and then it syncs it up to the cloud and syncs it to your other Macs and other people that are connected to that folder, if you like, and makes for this great experience that your data is sort of everywhere. But that can be a problem if a you don't want to pay Dropbox for enough storage space to make it worthwhile for you or B you don't want Dropbox or some unknown third party uh, storing your data for you Uh, as in, as with the previous tip, you know, sometimes you want to make sure you're in control of your data at all times. And, uh, and the transporter solves all of those problems. It is a device that sits on your network. It has a hard drive inside it and you can get it with or without a hard drive. But, uh, once you put the, uh, you know, once you put a drive in, you put this thing on your network and then install the software on your Mac. It is your cloud. So you and it works with version 2.0 of the software, which they tell me is coming this week, uh, at least in public beta, which is and I've been using the private beta reliably for a while now, even on Mavericks. Uh, so that little issue that I mentioned has actually been solved, uh, at least in terms of its stability. Uh and uh, you put this on your network, you install the software, and it's just like having uh, Dropbox. You, it, it, gone is the initial thing with the, the transporter where you had this odd file system happening. It is just a folder, just like Dropbox was. Time Machine will back up the data from your Mac if you want it to, or you can exclude it. Uh, and it syncs and you cut when you move files into the folder it just moves them into the folder it's exactly the behavior that you're used to with dropbox and uh at least in terms of that they're working on the sharing files with other people uh that aren't transporter users and that's going to get better too but uh version two is a huge step up for this so uh definitely check it out it's at filetransporter.com and uh i believe there is still a coupon code that will work and I'm looking that coupon code up because I didn't have it in my notes here and I'm not sure why I didn't have it in my notes, but uh, I believe the coupon code is Mac geek. It is it's M A C G E E K G A B and you get 10% off. So, uh, so check that out too. And I believe that coupon code still works. Uh, the transporter itself, if you buy it empty is one ninety nine. Uh, sorry, $99. And then you can add um, hard drives to it for. Uh, now, let me make sure I get this right because I don't want to screw this up. Let me make sure I got the pricing in front of me here. One night, I was right out of, out of the gate. $199 for no drive. And then for just 100 bucks, you can add a terabyte to it. Or for 200 bucks at $399, you can put a two terabyte drive in. And uh, again, you can get your 10% off of that. So $199 empty. Two ninety nine with a one terabyte drive and three ninety nine with a two terabyte drive, and that's a lot of storage to be able to have in the cloud. So, uh, so check it all out. FileTransporter.com, FileTransporterStore.com will get you uh, to the uh, straight to where you're going to buy this thing, and uh, 
And there you go. It's uh, it's cool stuff what they're doing there. I, I love, you know, we've talked about a lot of things that will allow you to do this private cloud, but by far the easiest way to do it is with something like this. That's just an appliance and it's cheap, you know, I mean, 199 bucks, uh, empty, even, even three ninety nine with, with two terabytes or two ninety nine with one terabyte. It's a killer price for, uh, for an appliance that does this. And they are clearly working on the software, especially now that, you know, everything's kind of settled with the Drobo connected data thing. And, uh, they've got the right people in the right places. It's, it's, it's going in good directions. So check it out. FileTransporter.com. I'm yeah. with you, and I don't. I don't think I. I even had to pick up a manual to figure out how to use it, Dave. Which I and that was even with right. version one, the current design. Yeah, yes. that's right. And do you I like have things where I don't have to pick up the manual, mm. <laughs> where I can just forge ahead and hope that it's been uh, written well enough where I I can't destroy anything. Right. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. Yep. And yep. get it working kind of intuitively. So yeah, I, I, I thought the setup was a uh, yeah as uh, Mac like as could be. So cool. Uh, all right. So, John, you've got a um, you, you've yeah, got you something on the SSD taking, thing. Yeah, you thought I was just taking pictures all week, Dave, <laughs> which I was <laughs> figuring out what batteries to get. But uh, no, I was actually, yes, answering some questions as well. So this is a good one here because there's a number of uh, facets. So, John and Dave, help. I have a difficult decision to make, and I can't think of two better geeks to help me solve my problem. Thank you. I have a late 2008 MacBook Pro 5,1,2.53 gigahertz Intel Core 2 Duo machine. And first off, I got to say thank you very much for telling me exactly what machine you're telling us what exactly what machine you have, because this is actually an important factor in this equation here, in that I knew it was a late 2008 versus an early 2008. So if at all possible, whenever you can, either go to System Profiler or get something like Mac Tracker and, and get as specific as possible when you tell us about your machine because it really can make a difference uh, between revisions. So um, it's running 10.8.4, has 8 gigs of RAM, and he has a 750 gigabyte hybrid, uh, one of the uh, Momentus XT uh, drives, and a 96 gigabyte WinTech SSD card, which is uh, works in the Express card slot. Um, and he said he had some issues with the WinTech card, so he's hesitant to put the OS on it and uh, and use the internal. And he's using the internal hybrid for file storage. Um, and the WinTech has been running good for some time. But here's his question: MacMall is selling, and wow, the prices have come down, Dave. The MacMall, uh, and I think actually uh, Crucial themselves, they're selling a 960 gigabyte SSD for 600 bucks. That's still quite a bit more than a 960 gigabyte um, <laughs> mechanical drive, but that's really come way down, Dave. Because oh, yeah. before, I think that was in the thousands of dollars. If you yep. wanted to get nearly a terabyte of SSD, you were talking over a thousand bucks. So that's that's a pretty, and I'd be happy with that. Yeah, 960 gigs. I think that's that's enough space. That was always my hesitation, which he says is a pretty good price for the size. Should I buy this and replace my 750 gigabyte hybrid drive? Is it worth it in such an old MacBook Pro? Will I see an appreciable difference between the Crucial SSD and my hybrid drive? Or should I save the 600 bucks and put it towards a new 15-inch MacBook Pro? Or lastly, should I try to install the OS on my 96-gigabyte WinTech card and leave the 750-gigabyte hybrid drive for file storage only? Decisions and decisions. So, thoughts yeah, on that, John? Questions. Yeah. He threw out a lot of questions. I'm going to come back at him, and I think I covered all of his questions in, in my answer, which is as follows. So, 
number one, and this is why I said this was important. Fortunately, his class of machine is one that, that uh, unlike mine, uh, but it escaped having a crippled SATA bus in that the machine that I have, Dave, which is the MacBook Pro early 2008 at a one point you had, only has a 1.5 gigabit per second, otherwise known as 192 megabytes per second, uh, SATA bus. So, so the one thing, whenever you're thinking about an SSD or any sort of storage here, is look at the speed of the bus. This is one part of the equation. Uh, and in this case, it, it's very important because it can limit you. And that's what you always want to look at when you're, when you're trying to figure out these problems here. Now, fortunately, the MacBook Pro late 2008, Dave, has a 3 gigabit per second or 384 megabyte per second SATA bus. So that's good news in that he is at the point where the bus is less limiting. Right. But now let's look at the drive performance. So number one, we know the performance of the SATA bus in the machine. Now let's look at the, the various drives. So he mentioned a few of them. And I did a quick look for benchmarks. And in general, it looks like the Momentus XT, although better than mechanical, it, it seems that most tests that did uh, throughput came out at about 100 uh, megabytes per second. Okay. For both read and write operations. Okay. So, so let's keep that in mind. Now keep in mind that's less than either of the figures we mentioned before for the SATA bus. So that's sure. good. Yep. Now let's take the next step. Let's look at the crucial drive and the crucial drive. Now I'll trust them on this, but they basically on their page, they list uh, read throughput at 500 megabytes per second and write throughput at 400 megabytes per second. And now you may notice that those numbers are greater than um, either one of those SATA buses. So, well, but, not, but not the SATA 6 gigabit bit per second bus right correct but he yep. doesn't have that he has well, that's true too. that's right yeah 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 so and then the wintech drive uh, though that's using the express card and i think it's doing eSATA. that's a little different but anyways that drive is uh, dog slow 65 well uh, relatively speaking it's it's about the same speed as the momentous it's a little faster in that it, it's like on the order of a hundred something megabytes per second so you got those three parts of the equation here now clearly to me the crucial ssd has the best performance but as we all have noticed here, due to my <laughs> pestering you with these numbers, the maximum throughput of the drive is greater than the maximum throughput of his SATA bus. So to, in my personal opinion, while it will give you better performance than the Momentus, it's kind of a waste. Well, wait, 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 wait. Achieve, Why? Well, you, you'll, you, you, all right, what I'm saying is, not, is you're not going to achieve the maximum performance with that class of machine using that drive. It's better. Let's take the numbers for granted. Right. I mean, let's right. take that. Right. So let's if, let's if, bear, bear with me on this. Let, let's, yeah. let's say that, you know, that these drives are going to operate at these speeds. I don't think they will. You're looking at sequential reads and sequential writes. Right. Uh, ideal conditions. Right. Yeah, ideal conditions. Right. And, and uh, most of us don't operate in the ideal. But let's say that we do. Well, the momentous is doing 100 megabytes a second. And the speed of his bus is 384 megabytes a second. Why in the world is it bad for him to use a drive that's going to get him that 384? Why do you say that that's a waste? See what I'm getting at here? Yes. I mean, it's um, almost if, if, four if times the speed. It, yes. Yeah. If. Uh, so I don't see that as a waste. Okay, but personally, my, my recommendation, and, and it sounds like you differ, my recommendation would be that you save that money and you get a machine with a faster bus where you can fully realize the performance of an SSD. 
That's my personal opinion. It, it sounds like the, 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 there's no argument. There's nothing. It, it's the best, fastest choice. Right. I just feel that it's yeah, an yeah, older yeah, yeah. machine. So, so the thing is, you're, you're, yeah, you're using a drive that will not realize its full potential, but it certainly is faster than what you have now. But it so, will let you realize the full potential of your machine. And, and I will say this right. again, putting an SSD in any computer that I've, that I've done it to where I've, where I've started with a, a spindle drive. So I have a, a point of reference to compare. Um, putting an SSD in is the single best upgrade I've ever done on any computer. And that includes processor replacements in the old days and all of that stuff. Yes, they're not cheap, but you're also talking about a terabyte of storage, right? I mean, you can get less, but, uh, but they're way cheaper than they used to be. I think totally worth it. If, if the, the CPU on your machine is fast enough for what you want to do, if the Ram on your machine is enough for what you want to do, if the only thing is it's just slow because of the drive you have in there, then by all means, yes, get yourself this SSD. It's a, it's, it's a cheap upgrade in terms of the bang you get for your buck. There you go. That's my opinion. Okay. And everybody's got, (laughs) no, everybody's got one. No, it's good. I'm just saying it's like my machine. It's a, it's a a five year old machine. So you're, yeah, no, I get that. To me, it's it's not clear that spending $600 on the SSD upgrade would be the best choice. Yeah. You could go either way. No, it's certainly, it it, it would certainly make the system faster. It will breathe new life into that machine. You may want, but you may want to, Take the 600 bucks and think about maybe getting a refurb or a newer machine. Yep. Because a newer machine, you're still talking, I mean, a decent MacBook Pro, you're still talking, what, 2,000 bucks? So, yep. Right? Yeah. But I, I, you know, Kenny in the chat room, and I will take this opportunity to say hello to everybody in the chat room at MacGeekGab.com slash stream. Uh, Kenny says, and I agree with him on this, the SSD prices have come down far enough that it's not worth considering anything else. And by anything else, he means the momentous, uh, you know, these hybrid drives. It, you'll get some it's a little better, but it's nothing like what you get out of the SSD. And we're and again, we're not even talking about blasting boatloads of data back and forth. Just the the all the near zero latency that you get out of the SSD is truly what will make the kind of instantaneous difference for you. And if you do wind up moving a lot of data around, well, obviously there, you know, it cooks, too. But yeah. Uh, yeah. The only thing I'll say, Dave, is the momentous. So I have that right now and I'm, I'm happy with it. It's faster than a traditional rotational drive. You still got to look at bang for the buck. So yeah. the 7 to 50 gig momentous is uh, about 125 mm-hmm. uh, on the street. Mm-hmm. This, you know, drive that he mentioned, the Crucial, which has slightly more space, is 600 bucks. So, you know, if that 500 bucks is something you want to spend on something else. All yeah, but saying, I think you, you I think get, you can you, get you a, get what you pay for. And you can I, get and, a 250 gig, you know, SSD because that's how I run my mm-hmm. iMac down in the office, right? Okay. My boot drive is is the 250 gig SSD, and then I have a one terabyte spindle drive, and I put my iTunes library and my iPhoto and all that stuff on the spindle drive because it doesn't really matter. Um, and then I boot, and I have all my apps and documents and stuff on the um, on the SSD. And it's awesome. And it and that's a really cheap combination to put together these days in terms of bang for your buck. And that's that's all I'm saying mm-hmm. is do the hybrid approach, but do it manually so that you're you're not 
you know, okay. stuck with somebody else's idea. So there you go. Yeah. yeah. So between the two of us, I think there you we go. covered all the bases. Yes. <laughs> we respectfully disagree, though, I think. But hey, that's uh, that's how it works. You're you and I'm me. That's it. Yeah. And you're wrong and I'm right. Well, <laughs> or you're it, right and I'm wrong. Well, <laughs> I, I think it, it comes down to um, I'm more willing to spend the money to get the real performance as opposed to some compromise of, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going to save. I mean, you're really not saving that much. You're saving, you know, maybe 150 bucks versus, you know, to, to do this. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that I'll, even 300 bucks Dave, is, is if, worth if, saving. If I was doing this right now, I have the momentous XT, although I did not pay for it yeah right right no fair enough <laughs> but yep. if, if, if i personally had to make a decision right now whether to get a one of these crucial drives which would certainly work in my machine though i'm hobbled with the 1.5 gigabit so in my case it's it's probably clear that yeah. buying a newer machine would make the most sense and that i i certainly in my case i i would probably see little or no benefit from hmm. the ssd versus the hybrid where you couldn't be more wrong machine it, it, the speed of well, your bus, yeah, the speed I, of your I bus has nothing to do with late, it. Yeah, I understand the latency is less. Yeah, and that's but the I would biggest say I would difference. Not see, I would not see as much a difference as as would be seen in this case with a SATA two bus. Mm-hmm. I would yeah. see less improvement, but but I was still no. I agree with you. I would see definitely see improvement even over the hybrid drive. If I, I got a, I think you would see seventy five percent of the total possible yeah. improvement. It, yeah, the latency yeah, I really I, makes I a difference. I had one in here. Right. I had a Samsung in here, and and yeah, it, it was certainly the best performing drive out of all the options. Yeah, yeah. If I had to spend six hundred bucks, I, I mean, at this point now, this machine is yeah, that's true, <laughs> getting getting quite dated, long in the tooth. All right, let's move well, on. Uh, quick question from sure. Felix. He says, "Does anyone know of a way to prevent iTunes?" He asked this in the Mac Geekab forums. Does anyone know of a way to prevent iTunes from automatically downloading new episodes of TV shows? Every time I open iTunes, it does this, and it's for a show I don't want, and does it on all my machines. Any ideas? And uh, yes, I believe you can do this for all TV shows. I don't think you can do it individually for shows, but if someone knows of a way, please let us know if I've missed something. Uh, And that includes you, John. Uh, You do it by going into iTunes, go to Preferences, go to Store, and then uncheck the Download Pre-Orders when available. Uh, And you also might need to check the Always Check for Available Downloads as well, but I think the prior one will do it, so... There you go. Quick question and answered in the forums. Check out the Mac Geek Cab forums. It's uh, it's not just me uh, and rarely John answering questions there. It's everyone. So uh, so you get advantage of the hive mind in real time. So that's good stuff. All right, you want to uh, you want to do this Rob thing or or do you want to save that for a, a no? A, I like okay, Rob go. because Rob prompted go. me to uh, well to uh, to uh, buy some stuff. All right, go. <laughs> Hi, guys. From Rob. Love the show. After listening to some of your recent shows, I decided to buy a new Doxus 3 router uh, to replace the Comcast rental I had been using. Awesome. And he got the Motorola Surfboard SB6121. After plugging it into my year-old Airport Extreme, I was thrilled to see speed test numbers of 55 megabits down and 11 up. Awesome. However, as soon as I added a new Airport Express, now no. Extreme Express. Extreme is the big boy. Express is the portable. Uh, As soon as he added the Airport Express to extend the signal, which is uh, an option when you set up the Airport Express, the rest 
the test showed his downstream rate had dropped to 20 megabits per second. Now he said he had 55. Now he has 20. Is this a product of splitting the bandwidth between the two routers? Is there a way to extend my network without suffering such a huge bandwidth hit? My response was as follows. Go. So number one, I was glad to hear the Doxus upgrade worked, and we've had most people report that that does uh, certainly improve, assuming your provider knows what Doxus 3 is <laughs> right, and sets it up properly, then that's always a good thing to do. Um, but based on multiple things that I found, Dave, and the thing is I couldn't answer this question fully, but I will be able to because I only have an 802.g Airport Express. So I couldn't fully test this out because that's a G device and my, my current airport is an N device. Oh, wow. So I wanted, to, I wanted to observe the phenomenon but could not because, well, guess what? Your so I ran Airport old. Utility. Yeah. Well, the thing is I ran Airport Utility and tried to connect to my Airport Express and the latest Airport Utility said, what are you, nuts? This thing's old. <laughs> I'm not going to even talk to it. Here, go to this other site and download the software. Well, unfortunately, it didn't work. In that... um. It wouldn't talk to it. And actually, right. this is a, a bug I found here. Um, and actually found a, a, a swell website here, frank.is. We'll link to the article here. But apparently there's a bug, Dave, in the uh, current installer in that even though it says it's for OS 7 and above, it does not work. If you try to install the older uh, 5.6 airport utility, the installer will say, well, no, I can't do that for you. And it's like, what? I don't think it's a bug. It, because no, it's just the installer is that they did not come out with a version specifically. No, it's a, it's a problem with the installer and in that the inst- what's in the installer, Dave, and this uh, hacker script that I found. Basically, what it does is it looks inside the installer package and it pulls out the utility and puts it in your application folder and it runs just fine. I have so okay. It's not so a problem. So two things: a, I don't think it's a bug. I think it's intentional because the end result was. You you bought some new hardware from Apple, so you know that's not a bug in in their grand scheme of of making money, right? Well, I mean, perhaps, right? But number two, and I have not tested this, so I can't speak about it, even if I could speak about it. But I have heard that Mavericks will not run the old version of the airport utility oh. at all. All right. So I, but I don't, I I don't know that firsthand. So you know, test it. But if you need to run that. Be careful when Maverick's upgrade time comes around. Right. So that's a little tangent in that I was not able to test this out or at least observe the phenomenon because I didn't have the right combination of hardware. So I ended up buying a new airport, which I think the latest rev is uh, about a year old. It's like June 2012. And I actually found one in the refurb store. It's uh, 85 bucks versus the full retail of 99 And hey, if you can save. So you bought a new airport bucks. express refurb yeah i understand right but but airport express right. not extreme correct just wanted to make sure. my other one yep. yeah because my other one is only a g device so i right. couldn't even effectively test this scenario because one of my devices was g and one is n yep no i so understand now when i get this new one which is coming yep. um i'll be able to test because then i'll have both n devices yep but basically from what i found dave and i think you can I have one of these. I use this? it with that DL1608 Good. Mackie mixer thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. And based on all the, the stuff, so I, I, you know, poked around on the internet and was looking up extending networks and WDS and all that. And it seems WDS was really bad. The current method of doing it is better. But I think the bottom line is that if you're extending a Wi-Fi network, you will see performance degradation. Definitely. It's just because you're extending 
something that has a fixed, I don't know if this is the best way to put it, but you, you have something that has a certain amount of bandwidth. And if you're extending it, if anything, you're kind of doubling the traffic and that it has to both send and receive what the other thing is already sending and receiving, and that consumes bandwidth. So unless you have, and that's why I also wanted to upgrade, Dave, because I think maybe you can get around this and maybe the newer protocols to do this, get around this with multiple channels and stuff like that. But the thing is, I don't think you're ever going to see with an extension of whatever sort, uh, whether you run the airport utility and say extend a network, and I think that's explicitly what you choose in the menu, right? Yes. Yes, um, that's right. If you connect to that base station, you will never see uh, unless I miss something, you will never see the full bandwidth. It's always going to be less than the bandwidth of connecting to the main base station. Is yeah, that- I wonder. Yeah, I would agree. I wonder if the new one uh, will extend. You know, will it will it talk over say two point four and extend on five? I don't think it does. Uh, but it it. Uh, I'm curious to to hear the results from your testing. So. Now, unfortunately, my, uh, oh, no, my, mine is actually, no, actually, I have one of the older N ones, but no, it does both 2.4 and 5, so I can test on both bands. It's not, yeah. Uh, oddly enough, the, the Express that I'm getting is dual band right. uh, or dual radio, but my main one, my, uh, <laughs> your time <laughs> extreme, uh, my time machine is single radio. Right. But I can right. still test out the scenarios. It just won't be as, uh, mm-hmm. as easy. But my answer to him Actually, is it'll be very easy. easy because your time machine is only single radio. Uh-huh. See what I'm saying? You won't be picking up the other radio signal from it with your computer. So it actually might make it you can you can do some definitive text testing this way. So I'm curious to see how it works. Yeah. So go ahead. Yeah. 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 But in general, the reply was and I found an article here. So what and this is even what Apple recommends here. They kind of hinted this. So in their documentation, when you look over ways to extend your network, they keep talking about this thing, um, creating a roaming network which sounds good. And that's actually the best way to deploy a Wi-Fi for maximum performance. The <laughs> basically what it involves is stitching together all your Wi-Fi access points with ethernet. Right. Which is what Either, we've been saying for years. Right. Either via physical cable, or as I mentioned to him, Dave's favorite, which I haven't dabbled with these, but Dave certainly has power line adapters is another way. So if you don't yeah. want to run a cat six or cat five or whatever ethernet cable, or it's too long a run and you already have outlets, um, modern outlets, then yeah, get a power line. They're a couple hundred bucks, right? For a pair of them. Or, uh, not know, even. Is these days. Yeah. Really? It's, oh, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, you can, yeah, I think I've seen them depending on what you need. I'll, I'll do a quick search, but, uh, but, All right, and I think yeah. they're throughput. So, so the assumption is that if you get an airport extreme, you're going to be talking gigabit Ethernet. I think these things typically, the the power line things, max out at about 500 megabits. Yeah, they have yes, but but they I've never seen them go that fast on like normal home circuits. So they, they, even the the five hundreds and the two hundreds for me have operated about the same speed, and that is. Uh, you know, right in that 200, I've seen them maybe the 500s maybe go to like 230, but, um, but you okay. know, there's nothing. Yeah. 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 But, so kind of uh, like with the question about SATA drives, we have different SATA buses and different throughputs of devices. You get the same thing here. So ideally, if you can run an ethernet cable from one of your airports to the other, that will give you the best performance. If not, then you'll get pretty good performance yeah. from a power line adapter you won't get full gigabit you'll get 500 megabits or whatever they advertise but yeah right uh, 
it's certainly better. <laughs> it will always be better than what you're going to get trying to do Wi-Fi extensions. Yeah. Just, and, and, and each time you add something, it gets worse. Right. <laughs> now, the power line, I just found the, um, the a pair of the, the Netgear 500 megabit per second nanos for 85 bucks on Amazon. So, I mean, wow. it's cheap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no... There's no reason to try to spend more money. I know. (laughs) Cause you know, the thing is, I I don't know if it makes sense, but my TiVo still has a G adapter and it does have do the power line thing. I don't even know my TiVo. You, you, uh, I think I have the same one you do. It's a series three. I have one of those ones. Yeah. I I think that's only a hundred megabit connection. So. Yeah, but still why, why clog up your, uh, your Wi-Fi with the TiVo Well, that's the thing because right now, the, the, right now the G adapter on the TiVo is dragging everything else down because if it wasn't for that, then I could put it in end mode Yep. and pretty much all my devices, I think talk end. So it's the only thing dragging me down. So if for no other reason, changing my TiVo over to ethernet via power line, uh, because yeah, running a cable is, oh, it's crazy. Yeah, there's no reason. Yeah. Even though the rooms are close, I, I don't want unsightly holes in my walls. Right. right. <laughs> and I don't want to go climbing through the infrastructure of the house here and find yeah. horrors unmentionable. Right. Right. So. All right. Let's uh, let's do a couple others here, although we're, you know, running out of time. Uh, time. Tony writes, here's the problem. The Wi-Fi connection on my iPhone 5 sometimes completely dies. All the other devices connected to the same network work fine. So the Wi-Fi network is working. Switching Wi-Fi off and trying with 3G works perfect. The only way to get back on the Wi-Fi is to reboot the device. I'm not sure, but I think there's an app that causes this. And I wonder if there's a way to see which app or if it's the system itself that makes the Wi-Fi die. Okay. Uh, He says, any ideas how to diagnose this? I've seen this too. Uh, And I think the thing that has solved it for me for the longest. Yeah. So just one device, either iPhone or iPod touch or or pretty much iPhone. Yeah. You know, any, any iDevice. And I've, I've seen it, Hmm. I think mostly with my iPhone and I'm not sure why, but it's happened with multiple iPhones of different vintages. And so I, the, the solution is going to settings and this is a good solution for any kind of networking thing. I mean, it's a little bit of baby with the bathwater, but not too bad, uh, is to reset networking entirely. And you do that by going into settings, general reset and then choose reset network settings um that will then it'll kind of force your phone to reboot it wipes everything out it wipes out all the wi-fi networks it knows about it wipes out your passwords for those networks so that's the part of the bathwater that you know you prefer not to throw away but it's not that big of a deal to reconnect to your you know your wi-fi network it'll throw away vpn settings too if you have any of those so uh just bear that in mind but it's all stuff that's relatively trivial to reprogram in as long as you know your Wi-Fi password at home and hopefully you do. But uh, but that I, that's anytime you're having, you know, kind of recurring network issues. That's that's where I would go with that. So that's uh, that's that. While we're uh, while we're on the subject of we'll do a couple of quick ones here while we're on the subject of Wi-Fi. Uh, Mike asked, he says a couple of months ago, you you mentioned that you were going to match up the SSIDs of your 2.4 and five megahertz, five gigahertz networks. How did that? No. Yeah. Gigahertz, megahertz. Which is it? What are we running at? Five, five gigahertz. It's got to be gigahertz. Yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 Yeah, He wrote megahertz. Anyway, sorry. It's throwing me off. Uh, you're going to match up the SSIDs. How did it turn out? And, and Mike's right. Uh, back at WWDC, I did that interview with Alf Watt. 
and asked him because he was the one that, you know, wrote a bunch of the software that we all use on our Macs and iOS devices. And uh, and I did it and it worked great, although uh, not that long ago, maybe a couple of weeks ago, I was having a problem and I thought it was related to these things being the same and, you know, uh, devices not knowing which network to choose. And so I split them all and then realized, oh, no, the problem is something different. And and uh, I wound up, you know, solving the problem a different way. And now it's all back. And uh, yeah, it works great. My computer, which I can see because I use iStumbler. Actually, you don't even have to. You can go up and if you hit option on your airport menu, it drops down and shows you the channel number that you're connected to. And with that, for me, I know which devices are on which channels. And so I'm able to see whether I'm on five gigahertz or 2.4. And my computer, a hundred percent of the time chooses the network that previously I had decided was the right one for that location uh, of the house. So, uh, so yeah, it works great. We haven't had any problems. Uh, things have been really, really smooth in terms of that. Like I said, I did have one problem with one device, but it was not, uh, not at all related. So yes, I, I stand behind Alf's recommendation and, uh, it is my new way of thinking. So, so there we go. And, uh, and we're going to have to save the, the rest, I think for the next show, although I, mm. I'm, I'm quite looking forward to some of those, but, uh, but that's how it goes. That's what we do here. We have fun and, uh, and we enjoy ourselves and, uh, so time flies when we're having fun. It's good to be back. We're like 24. <laughs> I hear 24 is coming back, right? On TV. Oh, no, my only takeaway from the series 24 is we're running out of time. Mm. It was like every other line. Jack said, we're running out of time. That's right. Come on, Jack. Get on with it, man. Just <laughs> no, I love that. It, it was so revolutionary when it came out in the, 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 they coherently, I think as best they could, multiple timelines all moving and you, you didn't get totally confused jumping between them. I thought that was... The best. Yeah. It always felt like you were always in the middle of something really exciting happening, and they, they managed to bounce you around. Yes. but you didn't get too disoriented. I, that that that's what I liked about the series here. I mean, Jack, yeah, was kind of yeah. over the top. Well, it's that's his character. That's right. Character. All right, yeah. Well, he's over the top. Feedback Whoa. at macgeekab.com is the address to which you can send your comments, questions, tips, screenshots, audio comments. Uh, what did I miss? Anything else, John? cookies? Yes, cookies. Please send all your cookies as an attachment. But if you did, if, if you weren't paying attention, Dave said feedback at MackieGab.com. Listen to what he says. Feedback at MackieGab.com is exactly what I said. If you want to call us, you can do so by picking up your phone and dialing 206-666-GEEK, which, John, is 4335. It is. What else is there? There's so many options. I, I, I just... It's been so long, Dave, I forgot. But one that sticks in my mind here is we are on the Twitters or Twitter.com. So if you go to Twitter.com and then you do a slash in your web browser and you put in any of the following that I mentioned, something will happen. <laughs> I am John Run. He is Dave Hamilton. The podcast is Mac Geek Gab. The publication is Mac Observer. What else we got there? Pilot Pete, who's 
Yeah, why hasn't he shown up that? in a while? I don't know. Does he not have... Pete, you got to let me know. I, I assume that you are subscribed to our Mac Geek Cab calendar and therefore know when we're recording the show, etc., etc., etc. But uh, i got to ask him that. It hit me the other day. I'm like, wait a minute. Does he not know when we're recording? And, and that would explain why we lost touch. Yeah, well, we haven't lost touch. Why we've lost maybe he can, this year. Yeah. Maybe we can get... You know, comped for a couple of tickets in the cargo bay or something. I don't know. They used to... I, I know UPS <laughs> used to let you buy passage. I, he was telling me about that, but um, I don't know if FedEx ever did, but uh, certainly they can't now. So, you know. Uh, what else do we have? You can Skype us. Oh, yeah. Facebook.com oh. slash Matt uh, You can Skype us at Matt to too, but Facebook.com slash Matt is where you... Uh, go there and like us. We would appreciate it. And... Uh, and then also you get to see when the show is out. You get to see some of the conversations that happen. You get to see when the live stream is going to happen, if that interests you. But if it doesn't, that's fine. And uh, all, right. and all that and stuff. And for the five people that are using AppNet or G+, <laughs> I had to do that. <laughs> Hello? Tell them about it. Go. I don't know. I don't At, well, <laughs> on AppNet, we're Mac Geekab. And on Google Plus, right. you have to follow the link in the show notes because, or just search for <laughs> Mac Geekab because it's some big convoluted link. We don't have a, uh. we don't have a plus Mac Geekab yet. We have a plus Mac Observer. I don't know when that just like appeared one day. It was like, hey, you get this. I'm like, great. So it, it will appear for Mac Geekab someday too. All right. Uh, that does it. We would like to thank, uh, well, we have so, we want to thank you for listening, first of all. Uh, thank thank everybody in the chat room. And uh, really, I mean, I, I know I'm saying this kind of cheeky, but I, I mean it. You know, we if it weren't for you listening, we we wouldn't be doing this here. It's uh, it's a you know, it's a it's a collective thing now. It's it's bigger than the sum of its whole part. So thank you. Uh, but we do want to thank Michael Johnston specifically from We Have Communicated. Yikes. All right. Well, that was interesting. We had an audio meltdown here. Three minutes and we would have made it. John, you're here, right? Yes, sir. Okay. And I believe the chat room can still hear us. But most importantly, you can hear us. And I've got to stitch a recording together, which, ah, foiled. Uh, Post-production. We try not to have to do that. Anyway, uh, I was saying that Michael Johnston uh, is someone we would like to thank. From the he is from the uh, We Have Communicators podcast. He's the founder and publisher of that, and he's also the founder and publisher of GetAppLure.com. Of course, we want to thank Cashfly C A C H E F L Y dot com for all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Podcast Marketplace includes BB Edit from Barebone Software, PDF Pen for iPad from Smile, Gazelle.com, Squarespace, WarbyParker.com, MGG Ship, S-H-I-P is the free shipping code now. And then, uh, of course, connect the data with the coupon code MacGeekCab. All through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. Have a fantastic week. We will be back next Sunday. Same bat place. I don't know about the time. I think it's a morning recording next Sunday. But most importantly... Have a fantastic week. And, John, any last-minute advice? Well, as we've seen, Dave, in that you're back, that means you did not get caught. Made up.